I read about a study this week that said that having high quality friendships in your life has a greater impact on your overall life expectancy than diet and exercise combined. And by something like a factor of four, like it was not small. So needless to say, of course, my new life motto is bring on the nachos. Just make sure you're sharing them with friends, which doesn't even mean eat less of them, right? Just go ahead and order two. You'll still live longer, science says. Now, this isn't totally new information. We've known for quite some time that social connections are really important when it comes to mental, emotional, and yes, even physical health. But it was news to me that the impact was that significant. This month, we have been exploring together what it really means to have and to be a good friend, which is not measured by how many friends one has, you know, how many invitations to parties, how many swipes and clicks and likes on social. It's not about how many at all, but something closer to how deep, how good, how real and authentic and ultimately how life-changing are the relationships that we are building with our friends. Because having some people who we call friends is one thing and it matters, but learning how to breathe life into each other inside of those friendships, that's where the real gold is. And like most things that matter, it doesn't happen without some intentionality. So we've been looking at the life of Jesus through the lens of friendship. And not meaning like the the cosmic lens of my, you're our friendship with Jesus through the spirit, but quite literally on the ground in the flesh against the dusty backdrop of first century Palestine. When Jesus walked the earth, how did he friend with his friends? And what can we learn from him there? In the first week, we started by noticing, particularly obvious with his relationship with John, that Jesus was a friend who let his friends know that he loved them. A friend who used both his words and actions to express deep affection. Then last week, we saw with Peter how Jesus was a friend who was deeply committed to his friends, who didn't bail on them in their less finer moments. You know, when the going got tough, he was a friend who stayed with open arms and open heart. Today, we're going to look at Jesus' way of friendship in his relationship to a woman named Martha. Now, Martha, along with her sister Mary and their brother Lazarus, were were some of Jesus' closest friends. Theirs is a home that we see him returning to often whenever he was traveling through Bethany. A number of the key stories that we know of Jesus' life involve these friends, and in each one, you can really sense the closeness and the affection between them. Today, I want to look at a story from Luke 10. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Now, sidebar, keep in mind, at this point in his ministry, Jesus coming to your home means a ton of people come with him. An entire entourage of hungry, dusty travelers. There was much to do for Jesus and his crew. And Martha was doing it while Mary was sitting and listening to stories. Martha came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. 
Like, sheesh. She's only trying to feed the guy. Dinner doesn't make itself. She comes to him for help, and instead of agreement and a little support, she gets told that she's off-center. Does that land with a bit of an ouch to you? You know, this Jesus seems a little crispier than the one who had John constantly referring to himself as the one that Jesus loved, doesn't he? Now, we expect Jesus to call out the Pharisees, the tax collectors, but why be so hard on Martha? He's supposed to be her friend. This isn't the only time that we see Jesus saying hard words to his friends, though. In Matthew 16, he, he calls the 12 who'd left everything to follow him, you of little faith. At one point, James and John offered to defend Jesus when people had treated him poorly, and instead of thanking them, Jesus rebukes them. Another time, the same two asked for the privilege just to sit near him in heaven. And Jesus' response was, essentially, you don't have a clue what you're talking about. Your priorities are all out of whack. Now get out of my face. I might have added that last part. The strongest one by far, and I quote this one often to my friends, is when Peter pleaded with Jesus to not allow himself to be killed. And Jesus responds with, get thee behind me, Satan. Are these words of life? Is this kind and loving friendship, I ask you? Well, Jesus seems to think so. And I wonder if it's because Jesus has his head squarely around something that most of us find it very difficult to embrace. That in friendship, love speaks the truth, even when it's a truth that's hard to hear. And in fact, that saying is a hard thing that needs to be said sometimes doesn't necessarily signal a weakness in a friendship, but maybe rather speaks to the strength of it. And if that's the case, then is there a way to do that that doesn't pull us out of love, but that actually steps us right into the center of it? Well, let's look at how Jesus does it. He actually starts with affection. Did you notice that? He speaks her name and says it twice. Martha, Martha. That's a tone of tenderness. It, it's not an eye roll. It's not exasperation. It's certainly not anger. It's a compassionate reminder that he sees her and he knows her, that she is safe with him. It's a signal that his heart is soft in this encounter and he's inviting hers to be as well. Next, he sees what's underneath. No, you are, you're worried and upset about many things. He's not judging and condemning her there. He, he's seeing beneath the surface to the deeper wound thing that is driving her to make the poor choice. He sees how she's actually tortured inside, and that's turning into destructive behavior outside. That lens is important. So starting with affection and understanding what's underneath, he then says the hard thing. As her friend, he offers a compassionate mirror to where he sees her living into a lesser version of the beauty and strength that she was made for. He loves her enough to say, this thing you're doing is destroying you, and you don't have to. He offers her a kind of honesty and perspective that she maybe can't even reach on her own. And then in his final move, he calls her to something higher. As he, he shifts her gaze to notice Mary's choice, not as a comparison or competition, but he's inviting her into a brighter vision, a brighter walk. He's saying there's a different way to live than this harried and harassed internal state you've been operating from. He reminds her of what love and peace and trust look like. 
It reminds her of who she is, of the goodness right in front of her, available to her. And he doesn't just toss off advice at her. He offers her an outstretched hand and says, come sit with me too. I'll journey with you. I'll help you grow into a new way of being. And that's the thing. See, Jesus understands that the gift and the strength of our very, very best friendships are that they help us to grow into the best reflections of the light and love of God that we can be in this world. So do you have friends who love you enough to tell you what you don't want to hear? Who care about you enough to, to tap into tough love in those moments when that's what growth requires? I will tell you a quirky story of one of the most powerful experiences I've ever had of this dynamic. So fun fact, 15-ish years ago, I went through the recruiting process to join the RCMP and then turned the job down. One of the steps in that process is an athletic test set up in a gymnasium with a bunch of weights and obstacles designed to simulate the experience of having to chase, control, and then apprehend a suspect. If you complete the course six laps within the designated time, you pass. If you take even one second too long, no pass for you. If you collapse on the course and stay there as one guy in my group did, no pass for you. So. All four foot ten of me summoned all my strength and speed and tore through the first lap of that course. No problem. I got this. Second lap. Little harder. It's okay. I still got this. Third lap. Uh-oh. I don't got this. Fourth lap. I am going to die. Fifth lap. I throw myself over the final hurdle and my legs literally immediately give out beneath me. And I am now laying on the floor, edge of tears, gasping for breath. Nope, I can't do this. I give up. And all of a sudden, the coach guy who's timing the test is suddenly standing over top of me and essentially yelling at me, saying, don't you dare. Don't you dare give in now. Get up. And I don't know if that sounds harsh to you. It sounded harsh to me. And it was intense. But it was also so good. Now, I've been yelled at in my life. I've been shamed, coerced, bullied, demanded of in strong, insistent tones. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't lead to good. This wasn't that. I've also had people just wildly cheer me on in various endeavors as if I could do anything. And that feels lovely. But this wasn't that either. This just was something else. It was a strong, insistent, empowering, no-nonsense, but, but also loving call up into a version of myself that I was momentarily unconvinced that I could be. And it feels so weird to put love in that sentence, I know, because it was just some rando athletic guy at a college running tests who didn't even know me. But I will never forget that tone in his voice. It was fierce insistence mixed with some kind of loving care that was refusing to allow me to collapse in on myself. It, it was a yell, but it was a yell to me, not at me. 
I don't think I had ever heard a tone quite like that, certainly not directed at me before in my life. And not only did it work, it got me up off that floor and through the sixth lap with four seconds to spare. But that experience stuck with me. That tone has stuck with me. And sometimes I think that is exactly the tone that we need to find in our friendships if we are going to help each other grow. Now, do you have the kind of friends who won't just leave you there on the ground where you are? Who will strongly call the best out of you when you want to shrink down into something lesser? Do you know how to be that kind of friend to your friends without turning into a jerk or wielding your perspective like a weapon? This is a call to life from a foundation of love. It is a partnering practice of empowerment. It's honesty, but immersed in compassion. And too often, we either shy away from it or get defensive against it. But this is what love does in both the giving and the receiving. It's not an easy dance, but it's possible and it's worth it. A friendship at its best is friendship that helps us grow. And that means it calls out the hard stuff. When we see the lesser things that someone we care about is giving themselves to, the lesser vision, the lesser version of themselves, when we see them missing the light of Jesus that is right in front of them, a friend calls the light out. Proverbs 27, 17 says, You use steel to sharpen steel, and one friend sharpens another. This is a good thing. It can be a healing thing. James 5 says, Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. When we pull the crappy stuff out of the shadows and into the light with each other, we give it a chance to be loved and healed. And that's the only place from which it can ultimately be let go of. And we need each other for that. You know, so love doesn't bulldoze in judgment, but it also doesn't hold back in fear. Real friends call out the hard stuff, yes, in order to help each other grow. And they also call to the higher stuff. You know, it's not just about naming what's off-center. It's about helping each other to see and to step into the actual center of a Jesus-saturated life. You know, it's painting a picture of both the goodness you currently see inside your friend and the higher potential that they are right on the edge of. It's about planting courage in each other in a way that, that helps us step into the deeper, richer, brighter lives of love that God longs for us to experience. You know, I see this incredible strength in you. You are right on the edge of it. So come on, dig deep and bring that thing all the way up and out into the daily existence of your life. Don't you dare give up now. Friends can do that for each other, can be that fierce, gentle voice. If we'll have the courage and the love and the intentionality to do it. It's way too easy to let friendship just kind of float along up on the surface to live lives of friendliness with each other without ever diving deep enough to become actual friends to each other, you know, in a way that helps us both grow. 
As, as hard as it is to embrace the courage to be that kind of friend to our friends, it's maybe even harder to open up to receiving it for ourselves, right? To cultivate the kind of humble-hearted openness necessary within to receive this kind of care when it's given to us. To learn how to dial down our defenses when a friend offers us a supposedly compassionate mirror that maybe doesn't feel so compassionate in the moment but which probably has a lot more honesty and love laced into it than our tender ego wants us to believe. Is this a dynamic that's part of your deepest friendships? Could it become so? You know, I'd even go so far as to say, maybe this needs to be a cards on the table conversation. You know, do you have friends to whom you'd say, I love the kind of person you are, and I know that you help me to become a better person, a more whole person myself. And I just want you to know, I want that. Even if and when it might make for sticky moments between us, I give you permission to speak truth into my life. Because I know with you, it's held in a crucible of love. So will you help me to call the best out of myself when you see me settling for something else? Like, can we actually give this kind of permission to each other? I would pay actual money to have that guy yell at me again. So scary, insistent, and yet so loving. It was such a moment as he helped me to tap into the me that I was losing there on the floor. Now, because I'm in danger of losing me there on the floor all the time in my life. And were it not for the friends who see me clearly enough and love me deeply enough to say, nah, Mandy, not like that. That is not who you are. Dig deeper. I'd be lost. <laughs> For every single one of us, our hard and holy calling, beautiful and terrifying, is to help lead each other to life while eating nachos. <laughs> and it requires immense courage, immense humility, immense tenacity to learn to friend this way. And immense grace, like boatloads of grace, to both give and receive this kind of love. Because we will not do it perfectly. It will be messy, guaranteed. But it'll also be worth it. And the gold that it will produce in our lives and in our world will be unspeakably beautiful the more we give ourselves to it. Jesus has given us a very good path to follow. Hold each other in deep affection. See the wounded part beneath whatever is happening on the surface. Compassionately say the hard things. And then call and help carry one another to something higher. This is friendship. This is love. And we can do this. And our lives and the world will change dramatically when we do. So let's follow Jesus in this and just see what kind of people it forms us into, what kind of friendships it just might grow in our lives. God, we are so grateful for your life-transforming love, the love that reaches down and finds us wherever we are and breathes life from the inside out. Would you teach us more and more what it means to be those people to one another, to breathe your life, to breathe real love, to breathe honesty, to bring healing into one another.
In Jesus, we pray all these things. Amen.